uh, uh, and I, I continue to want your friendship, so I'm limiting it at, at how much I speak as well. Uh, but uh, I'm ready to preach this morning, uh, and I hope you're ready as well. So we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, obviously. Guess, guess what, guys? It's going to end. There is an ending, right? It's going to happen. We're going to get to the end of this. We've been going on forever now. Uh, but this time, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be in Mark chapter 11. We'll start there, all right? So we have an opportunity to press a little farther, though, this morning, which is nice. We're going to begin, yes, in Mark 11, but we'll actually finish by breaking into the next chapter uh, because what Jesus is going to expose is an issue within the church walls. And so, guys, if this is, if this is ever a time this was a house message, this is definitely a house message, maybe not the most evangelistic message, but it is a house message that needs to be preached. It's definitely something Jesus come across, and it's definitely something he talked about and was very passionate about. Uh, and, and here's the thing, the issue we're going to talk about, it's been around ministry since the beginning, as we're going to see here. It still continues to this day in ministry. There's struggles where we see this same stuff. So if you remember where we left off, Jesus had gone into Jerusalem. He had turned over the tables. This instigated the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jerusalem to begin to plot and plan to kill him, right? I mean, it said it point blank. From this moment forward, they plotted to murder him. They were going to kill him. They didn't like his influence over theirs. They were jealous of him. They didn't like his theology at times because it worked against their scheming and their uh, influence, so to speak, or their authority. They envied the power by which he, his ministry operated. They saw how people reacted to his words and his works. So and this is where we're at. Jesus leaves Jerusalem right after that moment, if you remember, he's, he, he, in leaving them, you know, they're, they're just sitting there like, like a, you know, percolating in their anger, right? It's just festering and bubbling over, thinking about how much they hate that guy, right? Nobody here has ever experienced probably that ever about somebody where they just are like burn up. They can't even think about anything. I know we're not like that, right? But, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's no surprise, right? Jesus returns, Oh my gosh, right? Jesus goes back. <laughs> he makes all of them mad to the point where they're like ready to murder him. And then he leaves town. Smart move, by the way, for most people, right? Returning doesn't seem so smart, okay? He returns back um, and they feel a little more emboldened now, right? They're like ready to knock a few rungs off his ladder. Well, let's see if we can't knock this guy down a little bit. I, my thought when I was reading this, I was like, Jesus is either glutton for punishment or he's fixed on glorious purpose. One or the other. And guys, I know I believe it's the latter. Obviously, I think it proves to be the latter. He's like going there to secure the deal. Oh, you're going to murder me. How about I, we just close this deal right now? Right? Mark chapter 11, verse 27. And we're going to finish the chapter right there and, just, and we'll halt up. Mark 11, verse 27. Say amen if you're there. All right, I love you. Again, they entered Jerusalem. As Jesus was walking through the temple area, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders came up to him. They demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right to do them? I tell you, I'll tell you what authority I do these things. If you answer me one question, Jesus replied, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? Answer me. Well, they talked it over amongst themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask, why didn't we believe John? Do we dare say it was merely human for they were afraid of what the people would do because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. Now, it's kind of my take on this, but I love how they stop him as soon as he enters the temple area. It's like as soon as he walks in, it was like deja vu, right? Oh, my gosh, we've got to stop this guy right now. Right? It was like, you know, we better distract him before he starts turning over tables again and whipping people and hurting people and doing whatever else that he did while he was in the temple. We've got to stop this. Let's stop it at the entrance before we just let him in, right? And they confront him. And, and when I said emboldened, I mean emboldened because the word here that they used to describe how they asked is demanded. I don't know about you, but how well do you do when people demand things from you, right? 
It almost causes you to your attitude to rise up, you know? Everybody thinks they don't have any pride in them until somebody demands something from them, right? And then we'll see how quick you are to defense goes up, right? And that's a pretty strong adjective. Demanding is saying like, or else. You know, what do they want to know? Out of everything they've heard or of everything they've seen Jesus do, uh, they want to know by what authority he does what he does. Guys, I'm like, seriously? That's what you want to know out of everything you've heard about Jesus? That's it, right? You don't want to know or you don't care about how the miracles happen. You don't want to know how he raised anybody from the dead. You don't want to know how spit and dirt in someone's eye brings back sight. I mean, surely somebody would want to know that, right? It's funny to me that we don't see a lot of questions like that asked, right? That seems to me like that would be the thing you would want to know. I, and yet what you're curious about is just by what authority or by what right he has to operate or function in what he's doing. To me, it's trivial, and it really just reveals the envy and jealousy that's corrupted them. Because what's really happening is they can feel the popularity being pulled from them. That's what they feel. They can feel their influence slipping amongst the people. In the Marine Corps, we had a saying, knowledge is power. Those who have the knowledge have the power. Those who don't have the knowledge are powerless. Knowledge is power. We wrote it on our front of our little books in boot camp. Knowledge is power. And you studied everything, and you had to know everything. They gave you a test. You had to verbally know all the commands. You had to know all these things, all the ranks. When I, when I went to uh, uh, tank school and learned how to shoot out, kill tanks, basically, I, they gave me like 75 different tanks on a slide. And they would turn them upside down, and they would invert them. They would turn them reverse backwards. Where you know Everything they could to try to fool you, you had to memorize that. Why? Because knowledge is power. Those who have the knowledge have the power. Those who don't, don't. This is where the Pharisees find themselves. By what authority? All of a sudden, you don't know something. That's a scary thing sometimes, isn't it? The unknown. What you don't know scares us more than anything. It's interesting how fear works. You ever notice that? How many times have you been scared about nothing? We call it suspense. Man, if you've ever watched an M. Night Shyamalan movie, you already know what that is. I mean, one of the corniest movies I saw, and yet I loved it, was the movie Signs. If you've watched Signs, you're scared of that. It looks like something that came off the 60s Land of the Lost show. I mean, the alien at the end is not even the scariest thing ever. I mean, he looks like this little skinny thing that looks like he came off like one of those like lizard people from Land of the Lost, man. I was like, we were scared the whole movie over that? Like, these things are destroyed by water. Glasses of regular tap water. That was scary, but it's what we don't know. That's the master of suspense. What we don't know scares us. What our brain does is, is amazing. Our brain starts making stuff up. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Your brain's already like run through a scenario where the worst case scenario has already happened and you've learned how to talk through it, deal with it. You've already argued with it. With a, with a situation that hadn't even happened yet. That's fear. That's fear. All of a sudden, the men who have been the know-it-alls are all of a sudden find themselves they don't know. That's a scary place to be for them. This is where they find themselves. For all their knowledge... For all their study of the scriptures, for the first time, they are clueless before the people when it comes to Jesus. And it's obvious. It's obvious. Thus their anger has consumed them and it's empowered them really for this confrontation. You gotta love Jesus though. He walks right over them. Just walks right over. I mean, he doesn't even care. Like he ain't even scared about the issue, right? His response is... is to this whole question is really pretty clever. He just says he's happy to answer them. Yeah, I'd be, I would love to answer you, but just answer me this. That's simple enough. Just answer me this, right? And now this is something he knows they're going to struggle with because he knows their heart. He knows their thoughts. We've established this with Jesus early on. He knows these things. He reveals a deep problem within their leadership. It's a leadership flaw, so to speak. And it's this right here, and we're going to see this every day in ministry. It's going to happen, guys. The Pharisees cared less about the truth and more about what people thought. The only thing that weighed the whole scenario to them is what the people thought. See their grief when they're talking about how to answer? They don't want to answer. Because if they answer a certain way, 
it would go against what the crowd believes. And that's an issue. That's an issue. Your number one passion when it comes to the things of God should be a passion for the truth and for righteousness. Period. What is the truth? The Bible is the truth. It is the word of God. And its words are true. Not whether I believe them or not makes them true. They are true regardless of what I believe. Those who abide in the truth are the righteous. When we are abiding in the truth, we become the righteous. Period. The crowd never gets to decide that, ever. Popularity never gets to decide what's true. Oh my gosh, if we let that happen. Oh, I was looking the other day. Some of you might have saw me post this. This is stuff that made me quit Twitter, right? That the age group on Twitter is somewhere between like, a, you know, like, a, like the, I think it's like the teenage age all the way to like 25 makes up like the majority of everybody on Twitter. And yet it's funny to me that the news media always takes Twitter as the, um, what the world thinks about stuff. No, it's what some kid thinks who doesn't know anything, who ain't never been nowhere. Right? And then it was like the next group is that 30-year-old group, you know, that 25 to 35-year-old group that's on Twitter. You know, the irony of that is I remember having to get on Twitter because the school knew there were so many teenagers on Twitter. They were saying that the only way we're going to announce some things is through Twitter, so you need Twitter. So I'm being forced to get Twitter because they know that only kids are on Twitter. And so, and, but that's going to what is judges or rules the country by. That's how we uh, gauge the temperature of the land. You must be up out your mind. If you think the youth group should control the whole world, you are crazy. You're crazy. They love somebody the next day. Oh, he's, he's, he's my bae. He's my guy. Yeah, I love him all that. And the next day, it's somebody else. I think the hardest thing for a youth pastor is to watch people go through girlfriends and boyfriends and then see who they marry down the road, right? That's like the hardest thing I have to do because I see I've heard all that multiple times from them. Like, oh, you love this one? Okay. That's what you said about the last one. But okay. You know, like I know. That's why I try to tell his youth pastor, and y'all, some of you adults remember, I try to tell his youth pastor, probably should never say love. Just don't say it until you just know it, all right? Most of you don't know it, <laughs> so be, be very careful of throwing that word out. Be very careful. It's hard. We, listen, we change. There's no shame in being a kid and making mistakes. No shame in that. That's normal, right? It's not normal to let a kid who makes mistakes and all that have the, uh, be the temperature gauge of our country, right? That's the way it is. Popularity isn't the measuring stick of truth. It just isn't. The truth is, they didn't like John. And they don't like Jesus either. Both have pulled people away from their authority of leadership. In today's terms, they stole their followers. Well, I don't like that guy. Why don't I like that guy? Because everybody that was following me now follows him. Everything that I said it now falls on deaf ears because they're all listening to this guy. It's jealousy. It's envious. Right? Think about it. These men had been the leaders of their day. These Pharisees, these elders, these religious leaders, everybody looked to them for authority. Everybody looked to them for answers. Everybody looked to them for spiritual answers and solutions. These people, surely they're closer to God. They talk like it. They speak the word of God. And then all of a sudden, here comes these other guys, and everything has changed. These other guys are given reverence and respect for their dedication to God. However, here comes these guys. And for all purposes, they're commoners. Right? And they begin to excite the people. And now the influence, all of a sudden, that was on the Pharisees begins to diminish. We quit looking to those who've had the authority for all these years, and we're looking to these new faces all of a sudden. Why was that? You know, I think there's actually a couple of reasons. Probably one of my favorite things about the ministry of Jesus and John. John looked like a homeless vagabond. Wore camel's hair. He's eating locusts. He's a crazy man. Crazy man. Jesus looked like an ordinary nobody. Isaiah 53 said, basically implies you can't even pick him out of a crowd. He looked like any other Jewish guy. So the homeless guy and the nobody stole everybody's followers. I mean, these guys aren't celebrity guys. They're not wealthy they're the poor, right? 
Neither had gone through all the studies and practices of the religious leaders of their days. These guys gave their whole lives to reading the words. Man, these guys are in their 20s and 30s. Neither of them, I mean, really, neither of them had pedigrees, right? They didn't go to school for this. They didn't learn from anything. They hadn't been trained from the time they are born just to be the Pharisee, the guy who's going to sit here and, and teach the word and all these things. Both John and Jesus also surrounded themselves with everyday people. They are blue collar. They didn't create a tier system by which they were set above anyone. Like it was, Pharisees, religious leaders, elders, and the people. And Jesus is down here. In contrast, the Pharisees, they elevated themselves to a different platform, right? To which they manipulated the church of God and the house of God from that platform. If knowledge is power, then at that day and age, only the wealthy can be a man of God. Paul came from privilege. He says it. Paul came from privilege. He, was from, he bragged he was from the house of Benjamin. You know? And then all of a sudden, here are these two men that just show up in the church, and all of a sudden, it's just turned upside down. Everything's changed. To use a term that we often hear today, the way we've always done it is ending, and that's going to make some people mad. Sound familiar? And this story doesn't end here. Right? Jesus, he actually isn't done poking them. Right? Jesus is actually about to secure his future and ours too. So he presses their button like one more time. Turn over to chapter 12. In chapter 12, verse 1. Oh, he wasn't done. He was just starting. Oh, I started with the question. Now let me tell you a story. That's how Jesus did it. I started with a question. Now let me tell you a story. Mark chapter 12, verse 1. Then Jesus began teaching them with stories. A man planted a vineyard. He built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent out one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. The owner then sent another servant, but they insulted him and beat him over the head. The next servant he sent was killed. Others were sent, were either beaten or killed until there was only one left, his son, whom he loved dearly. The owner sent him, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But the tenant farmer said to one another, here comes their heir to this estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him and murdered him and threw his body out of the vineyard. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do, Jesus asked. I tell you, he will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. Didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's wonderful to see. Oh. <laughs> The religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus because they realized he was telling a story against them. They were the wicked farmers, but they were afraid of the crowd. There it is again. So they left him and they went away. Now, Jesus loves a good parable. And we do too, amen? Everybody loves a good story, especially one with deep truths, right? And a parable is nothing more than that. It's a story with a deeper truth that's kind of unveiled in it. He's known for them. He tells quite a bit of them. Now, he, he's breaking a truth down, basically, in this to make it easier to understand. In this case, it's a man who builds an entire vineyard. For our business uh, people in here, it's a complete startup business in which a man has already tilled the ground. He's planted the seeds. He's built the wine press. He's even provided protection for it, Right? And this man's uh, pursuit uh, is most likely he's, he's left to go build probably another a franchise, if you will. And he leases it out to some farmers. They under, the, the kind of understood agreement is that, uh, uh, <clears throat> is that they'll work for it. And in working for it, they'll receive a portion. But, but because he's the owner, he will also receive a portion that he's due. After all, he's basically the capital investor. Right? It's his money that's making all the money. Right? So he says, okay, you work, you're going to get a piece of this pie, but always because mine was the initial investment, it all belong, there's a portion that's going to come back to me. That's fair. By the way, that's pretty normal. Right? 
So, but when time comes to collect, you know, the owner's shares, you see it, a series of individual representatives are sent to collect the shares, but they're beaten, even killed. The owner sends his own son. After all, come on, they didn't show respect to those who work for him, but maybe, just maybe, there'll be a respect for this blood connection here. This is not just anybody. This is his kid. And can I be honest? <laughs> you would think that they would be scared of a man who has enough finances to walk in and build a standalone business and it feels secure enough to lease it away and go somewhere else. You would think that. To me, that would be rational thought. This guy's got bucks. I mean, technically, if he wanted to hire some help to come force us, he probably could. He's choosing to give us some grace here. I mean, he's choosing to keep allowing us an opportunity to turn, but we never do. See the grace of God there? I mean, surely this man could afford to do anything. But you know the story. They kill the son too because they're greedy. And you know more than that, they're ungrateful. Ungrateful for what God's done. Well, I'm about to get ahead of myself there for what the man's done. They were given a job, even part ownership in something. And listen, they originally sowed nothing. They sowed nothing. They had no investment into this. It was all built for them, right? For the work, they receive a portion of the company profits, but that ain't enough. Greed has overtaken them to the point, and it's now turned their character into violence and malice and ultimately murder, all for a piece of what they did not originally sow. There's no gratefulness, no appreciation at all for what this guy had done for them. Now, the key to this entire story, right, is found in verse 12, right? The religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus because they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers. That's the key to the whole story. If this is correct, then all is revealed in this parable. By, by the way, this parable, it makes it way more easier probably than any other parable because they immediately acknowledge their part to play in it. By giving us this key, it tells us this, that in this story, God is the man who plants the vineyard. In this story, the vineyard is the church or the kingdom of God. In this story, the tenant farmers are the Pharisees and the religious leaders of their day. By the way, the same is true for today. The tenant farmers today are the pastors and leaders of the church today. In this story, the servants are the prophets that God sent to warn people when they weren't adhering to the truth, when they were listening too much to popularity and not enough of God's word. In this story, the son is Jesus to whom they were already plotting and planning on. We know how his life ends up. I'd say Jesus knew their intentions. I'd say Jesus knew exactly what he was saying. And it all exposes them for what they are and what they're doing. It also reveals a hidden gem of truth when it comes to the church and the ministry, or maybe more specifically ministers or leaders who are tasked with leading the church. This is, like I said, this is a house message. Most people don't notice this kind of stuff because they don't think really, really in these terms. And honestly, I didn't know or I didn't understand a lot of this until I started pastoring. From my experience, all right, and I'm going to narrow this down to really something very easy. You could, you could ex we could expand it out and make it something more detailed, but I'm going to narrow it down uh, to make it really easy. The, 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 there are only two people uh, functioning and two types of people functioning and leading in the church today. Two types. Make it, I'm going to make it real simple, right? People who are called and people who are stewarding. It's one or the other. One or the other. There's only two types of people in church, one or the other. All right? The differences between the two are really subtle, and most people can't tell the difference at all between them. And let me be clear and preface myself in saying that both have their place in the ministry of God. Both. Neither one of these are bad things, they are good things. All right? Not bad things. Let me explain. A called person is someone who God has gifted for a specific task, 
For instance, the five-fold ministry. Everybody has a gifting somewhere, right? I'm called to pastor. It shouldn't be any surprise that I have a gifting in teaching or discipling people. Listen, and I don't get to brag about this gift because it's just been imparted to me through the Holy Spirit. I don't get to brag about that. My gift is not greater than your gift. All right? By the way, the compare game is a devilish game and not worthy of the children of God. If you think a pastor, well, he's more gifted than me. Maybe at that gift, maybe your gift is not to pastor. Maybe your gifting is something else. Guess what? He's not going to be good at that. Quit doing the compare game. Quit. Don't compare yourself to others. Don't compare. You're unique and wonderfully made. Your identity should be in Jesus. I know everybody wants to love themselves these days. You know, love Jesus. You love Jesus, you will love yourself because you'll love like Jesus loves. You'll accept you for you. Right? And Facebook is not going to make that help. It's not going to help you on that end. You can fish for compliments all day there all you want, but it's not going to help you. Jesus is what's going to save you from that whole thing of self. Crucify self on the cross. Get rid of that thing. It's hurting you. It's holding you down. Love Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Be with Jesus. That'll take you farther than you ever want to go. It might take you to things you never thought you'd ever see. Do things you never thought could be done. But the compare game is a devilish game. Now listen, as pastor, I am called and entrusted with the bride of Christ. I'm here, and my job or my gift is to take care of her and see that she is ready to meet the groom. That's a big deal, guys. I take it very seriously, right? The groom is Jesus. It's his bride. It's not my bride, period, all right? Just know that. The, a steward, on the other hand, is someone who might be called into working in the ministry, right? But they're working outside their calling. They're working outside their calling. They're, by the way, there's no, you're one or the other. There's no such thing as pew sitter in the, in the fivefold ministry. I looked, I've read it, I've, I've like scoured the Bible. No such thing as person who sits back, does nothing in the Bible, right? You are the person Jesus is always talking about, calling himself to him. Like, look, look at everybody else he called himself to. What, I mean, everybody from there goes out and tells others. You're all called to be an evangelist. You're all called to be a missionary, so say. Your mission is what? First, it's your family. Minister to your family, right? We get this, right? So it's one or the other. Everybody's called. What, what gifting you are, I don't know. I don't know, Right? Uh, uh, I think it's funny if you think that uh, you're going to take an assessment test and that's going to show you, though. I do think that. You know what I think the funny thing about a gifting is? It's what you come naturally at. And it, who cares what other people think if it comes natural for somebody else to see your gift or not? Who cares? You, you work in your gift, right? You work in your gift. A steward, is someone who's so, a steward is someone who might be called into working in the ministry, but they're working outside their calling or their gifting. They're in a position to which, while they can function and facilitate ministry, it's just not what they're called to do, right? So they're working in something, but they're not necessarily called to do it, right? They're filling in, basically, until a called person can get there. They are stewarding the ministry, but they aren't necessarily at times growing the ministry because, truthfully, called people grow stuff. It's, it really is. I mean, if you look at stewards, take care of things. They do. They can sometimes grow things. Sometimes, but not, not usually, right? Not, it's just the truth. You go, you go look at it. Anytime you probably sat somebody over something that they didn't want to be there, they usually don't grow stuff where they don't want to be, all right? It's not because they can't grow. It's because they're really filling in a role that's outside their ministry. And let me say this. I love stewards. Love them, love them. Stewards serve outside their calling because they possess what we all should possess. Hear me. A servant's heart. Stewards possess first and foremost a servant's heart. They want to serve. Well, uh, uh, this is really what I'm gifted in, but if you need help here, I'll do it. Right? I remember uh, Tony Cook, who writes a lot of books on leadership, who once said, my first job. You know, here I am. I feel called to preach. I feel called to this. I went to the pastor. Where can I help? You know, I feel called to preach. I have these pedigrees. You know, I've gone to college, Bible college. I'm, 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 I can pastor. I can do a lot of these things. How can I help you? Man, right now, our custodian quit. We need somebody to clean the bathrooms. And he goes, you know what my first job in the church was? I cleaned bathrooms, and I did them unto the Lord. Man, I turned my worship music up real loud, he said, and I'd go in there, me and my wife, and we clean the bathrooms. 
And every anytime anybody, if, it, if nobody ever had a complaint about the bathroom, that was my praise to the Lord. And that was his first. And, you know, today he's got all these books and he's seen as a very well-known leader. But his, how do you think he got started? Not He didn't just walk out of there and he was walking on water. And they were like, look at this holy man. Look how righteous he is. No, he started by cleaning bathrooms. By cleaning bathrooms. Stewarding. Stewarding things. I love stewards. They serve out of the sheer love they have for Jesus and the need they see. They're beautiful people. They work through their frustration of being outside their giftings. Mm. That's where we get frustrated, right? They faithfully serve wherever God places them. There is a temptation, however, to fall into the same trap as the Pharisees in both positions. Listen, for a called person, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of their day, the temptation is to forget who owns everything you've been called to. Pastors can too easily think too highly of themselves. I mean, it's not hard. Come on, man. You know, uh, I, I feel for them a little bit. People come up to them. They praise them for the way they, their gifting works. They praise them like, man, that sermon was spot. All this, your words are just like reaching me. And then people come up and they give you all these wonderful testimonies. And if you're not careful, you can real quick go, man, look how good I am. It happens all the time, guys. It, it just happens. It's easy to forget that the vineyard belongs to God. It belongs to God. It's easy to forget that the easiness of preaching and leading isn't a gift that they naturally possess. It's a gift that was imparted to them through the Holy Spirit. They're not born with that. They're given it as a gift from God. I don't produce fruit. I am connected to the vine and it produces the fruit. That's the mindset. I am simply a conduit for the glory of God. If I possess any glory, it's only because the glory of the Son abides in me, right? This is the idea we must stay. If we're going to be called or gifted into a position, we cannot let our pride get the best of us. It's not because of how good we are. It's because of how good God is. If there's any glory for me to possess, it is only because the Son of God abides in me and I receive His glory, right? The bride is not my bride. When Jesus comes, I have to let her go. I cannot hinder her from being with her husband. I can't take advantage of her either while she's in my protection. God says, listen, I left the 99 to go chase after the one. I left her with you. Pastor, I left her with you. This isn't yours. This is mine. I'm trusting you that you're going to protect them while I'm out here chasing after the one. When I come back, they're mine, not yours. Don't take advantage of them. Be nice to them. Treat them like I treat them. Be in me and I in you. Any authority you have or power that you have, listen, it's gifted to you by the groom. For the sole purpose of making sure she has everything she needs. My gift does not exist to exalt me. It exists to exalt you. A pastor with no people is worthless. Is worthless. My gift only exists in to help you. My gifting only exists when I help you get where? To Jesus. And if I'm not doing it, God will pull it from me. God will rebuke it from me. He'll take me down low. He will, man. Look at David. When we forget this as pastors, it's usually when we stumble. And when we fall, oh, do we fall mightily. Everybody knows it when a pastor falls. Am I right? You watch TV. Every time they say something dumb, everybody stands on that thing. Now, for the steward, it's a struggle, really, of bitterness. What starts is this, like, compassionate answer to fill a need can lead to bitterness and anger and resentment and even rebellion. Especially when we start to, to let the frustration of working outside our gifting get the better of us. If you uh, ask my wife if I ever felt called to youth ministry, she's going to tell you that there has never been a time where I ever told anybody I was called to do youth. Although I did it for almost a decade. Never once has God ever come to me and goes, I've given you this wisdom I have. You are going to handle teenagers, and you're going to be so good at it. No. Like, I remember when they asked me to start dealing with teenagers, um, 
I was not, I mean, I was like, yeah, I'll do whatever the church is asking, whatever God is asking me to do. And I'm going to believe that God is using these men to, to move my life into where I need to be, right? I mean, I'm, I'm at least rooted with God enough for that. But I, ain't, I mean, I ain't going to lie. Like, I would tell my wife, like, I think I'm like totally lost. I remember the first couple years, I mean, I'm up there and I'm like, I don't, I'm pretty sure nobody listens. That I think pretty sure I'm preaching to air. Like, nobody understands. And then I'm having to dumb some things down, you know? Like, and I don't mean like to call them dummy, but come on, man, I'm teaching a sixth grader. I can't say the things I'm saying to you to a sixth grader, right? So now I have to back up. So all these years of learning how to adult, right, how to be an adult and talk like adults, right, that's worthless, all right? I mean, like, all these, I have all these adult hobbies and things now, right? And then I get to become that guy that all the adults make fun of. I can become the youth pastor who's all of a sudden into Xbox and playing Call of Duty and Battlefield and Halo uh, and getting annihilated by a 13-year-old while they're laughing at me on the headset. And, uh, yeah, I get to be the guy who tries to dress hip, faux hawk it out, you know, whatever it takes to, like, somehow relate, right? Some of my teenagers in here, you already know. This is embarrassing, right? Theme nights, all these things, go through these hoops, right, trying to relate to somebody who's 20 years younger than me. It's exhausting. Exhausting. Youth ministry is exhausting. Because it's constant. Because they change. Can I tell you, I call the golden years the junior high. Those are my favorite. Right? They'll actually listen more than a high school person. By the time you're in high school, you already know everything you want to know. Not everything you should know, everything you want to know. Right? And if, if you had your way, you'd be running the world. Which is terrifying. <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you think there's bullies out there now as adults. Oh, Kids are rough, man. I always tell people, yeah, junior high is like federal, you know, that's like a federal prison, man, where murderers and the crazy people go, right? And then, and then high school is almost like a white-collar prison. You know, it's not as bad, you know, but it's bad, you know? I always feel for anybody that's in junior high, although I love them the most. They're the most, like, they can be the most hurt, I guess, is why I love that junior high the most. They're just more, they'll take it in more. They're more pliable at that moment in their life. Hard stuff. I didn't feel called to that. That's crazy stuff. I'm too old for that. You know, I, I fought it forever, right? I wasn't pleased with doing it. I just accepted, though, that this is what God wanted me to do. This is obviously what God wants me to do. I didn't feel gifted in it, but then something started to change, right? My heart started to change towards ministry and how seeing things in ministry, you know, and, and working outside of my gift and seeing how working outside of my gift was helping me towards my gift, right? Now, working with kids, by the way, is what led to this. Having a heart for lost any kids that are lost? I have a heart for kids in Marble Falls because I know a ton of them, first of all. I've had to watch so many of them grow up without moms and without dads or their, their dads or their moms were in prison. I've had to watch so many of them grow up without parents at all. Mo and, you know, moms dying because of cancer and have to go with them through life through those things or bad car wrecks where they're almost dead or even have some that are dead now. I've buried kids in my youth group. It's not, I mean, I had to learn a lot of things to get to the place where I can preach to you today. And, and if I would have just said, no, I'm not called to it, I would have missed that. I'd have missed that. The truth is, I needed to see that side of ministry so I could appreciate those who serve in that capacity. Those who serve outside of their gifting. Right? The steward. I had to appreciate that. I could appreciate those who serve there. It's frustrating to feel underutilized. That's what I felt like. Like, are you sure you don't want me to go back to just preaching to adults? Like, you know, I'm pretty good at that. Like, I like doing it. It's fun for me. I can talk like I want to talk. I can, I can preach like I, like I like to preach. I don't have to, like, make this thing so simplified. I can talk in deeper things. I can say things in deeper ways. You know, sure, you don't want me there, God? God's like, no. Quit asking. Right? This is where I put, placed you. Stop. Focus on what you need to do. Okay. Okay, Lord. Okay. Right? Obedience better than sacrifice, by the way. So I understand what it's like to feel underutilized. When I hear people talk about their jobs, and man, they feel that same feeling at work, right? When you know you could do so much more, but you're just kind of underutilized. You're like, they're just not really using me like I should be. And I hear those complaints, and I hear that frustration. I get it. I know it. However, what I also know, it's true that when you're faithful with the little things that God gives you, he will begin to position you toward the area of your gifting where you can do an even greater good. But what he's trying to see is if you have the unction of what it takes to get there. 
Why would I ever put you in the power of your gifting, first of all, just by and not giving you any hardship to get there? Pride will whelp in you, and you'll have no prior experience walking into it. And if you're not careful, you'll fall. By the way, most people, the majority of people today in their ministry, come right out of college, man, they get ready to go to, say, Southwestern Assembly of God or Abilene Christian or any of these places. They come out going, man, I'm going to be a preacher. And, and the majority of them quit within three years. You know, the irony to me is ministry, I would say it isn't hard because I think if it's hard, you're doing it wrong, right? You're probably doing it like everybody else is doing it instead of doing just what God's called you to do, which is exhausting, but if you'll just be who God called you to be, just do what God calls you to do. It's a whole lot. That whole my burden is light. You'll find that out real, real quick. But most will never. Because they'll try to jump right in where they're the most comfortable, where their gift can shine the greatest, right? And they'll never know hardship. And so as soon as they meet hardship, because they've been trying to avoid it, it's the make or break. Who are you really? Who are you really? If it's hard to serve in this capacity, are you just going to quit? Who are you really? Right? This is why, you know, I have this whole thing. You've heard me, some of you have heard me say this about clones, you know. These guys, they come out of college and they have all this Bible knowledge, but they have no life experience. They can, like, I've seen guys like 24 years old writing a theological book. I just want to like, what do you know? You don't have a wife yet. You got no kids. What do you even know about patience? You got to have kids to have patience. You don't know nothing. I'm not reading that book. Take that thing off Amazon. I mean, I love the self-published stuff, but that might be going too far. We should limit it to an age. Unless it's going to be fiction, you know? Come on. How much can you know? How much have you endured? Right? I know kids that are like, especially when I was in youth ministry, I'd look at these guys that are 20 and they're writing a book or something. I'm like, I know kids that are 14 got more life experience than you. Their, their, their mom's in prison. Their dad's in prison. They live with their grandparents who smoke dope. They, 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 uh, they're, they're making through life on their own. And if I'm not trying to talk them off meth or talk them into a rehab, they finally can somehow make life out of it somehow and, like, uh, and turn out okay. And I'm like, by the grace of God, like I don't even know if they're in church, but just the fact that they're not on drugs, that they found somebody they love and that they're having kids, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Like I'm having to call that a win. Because the, the whole world's against them. Like, that person's got more experience than some of these 20-year-olds coming out. They've been raised in church. They, hold, they don't have any hardships. Man, you need him. <laughs> we take him for granted because everybody wants to be comfortable. But, man, we need hardships. I, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. But I'm telling you, if you'll just be faithful, God could be calling you right now to a place you don't want to be, but God's calling you there, right? And if you'll just be faithful with the small things that God is calling you, just being obedient to those things, God will put you in the place where you're gifting so that when your gifting gets there, first of all, you'll have a whole other appreciation, right? You'll have this whole perspective of how if I hadn't have gone through, I wouldn't be ready for this because I learned how to go through things when it was hard so that when I stepped into my gifting and if it ever gets hard in my gifting, man, it's a piece of cake. I've already gone through hardship. I already know how hard this thing can be, right? I mean, do you ever think the reason that maybe God could be calling you outside your gifting is just to humble you to the plight of others? Think about it. My wife works with the, the children. She loves kids, right? We both do. But she doesn't feel called to children's ministry. Man, some of you know my wife has never worked ever in children's ministry, ever. Never felt called to it. N none of it. But hear me. She is a grade-A leader, hands down. My wife is a grade-A leader. And I guarantee you, I could take you to other ministries where we've served at, and they'll tell you, she is a grade-A leader. She is a strong leader, and she's super savvy to pastoral leadership. In some ways, she's better than me. And if I didn't have her, I, wouldn't, I couldn't do half the things I do. She works with our children here because there's a need. We need that, right? She knew when we started this that this was going to be a need here and that God was kind of moving her towards this, right? She's not called there. She's stewarding the ministry, it's not her gifting. She's stewarding the ministry. She gets frustrated from time to time. Now, listen, out of sheerly feeling like she isn't good enough. That's the problem when we work outside of our gifting. It's not that we don't want to be there because we love doing things for God. It's that part where like, I don't know if I'm good enough for this. Like, I, I'm not good like I see some people who are called, right? Like, if you look to the called person, you say you look at me, you're wanting to 
pastor or preach or anything like that, and you go, man, he does it with such ease. You know, as, as me and Michael are growing together in our relationship between youth pastor and pastor, you know, he'll look to me and goes, man, it looks like you do it with such ease. But I remember a time where my first few sermons, they shouldn't have let me preach because it was awful. It was awful. You got to start somewhere, right? There has to be like, yes, it's a gift. I feel comfortable being up here. That's the gifting part. You're seeing the easy part, right? But it's not always been easy. She's sheerly frustrated. She's frustrated just feeling like she's not good enough. She feels like, you know, she's, she doesn't know enough to really teach or, or help grow our kids, right? And, and I know that she's doing a good job. I know this, right? This position, though, that God has her in right now, it's not comfortable for her. Stewarding never is. However, she focuses on what the Lord is asking of her rather than what her flesh wants. Obedience. Obedience. Her flesh wants to work in the area of her expertise, right? And the area of her passions. By the way, whatever you're passionate about is probably what you're gifted at. Pretty simple. You didn't Look, I gave you that test for free. You didn't have to like ABC it or nothing. That was really easy, right? She focuses on what the Lord is asking and what her flesh wants. And God has decided that he wants her there. He wants her there. Since her heart is tuned in to God, she goes where he says go. This is the steward. Not necessarily working in their calling, but being obedient to the Lord where the needs are. Everything is process. This should be the heart of all believers. Not everything is going to be comfortable, but the compassion we have for others, because Jesus has compassion for others, should drive us to move past our need for comfort and into a need to help and love God's people. All ages. All ages. Now, I'm simplifying the tenant farmers of our day into two categories. But I think you understand what I'm trying to say. Now, I could go into every little calling and every little thing, and we could stretch this out as long as you wanted, but both have a place in the church. Both have a place in the church. Let me say, there's nothing wrong with the call. There's nothing wrong with stewarding. But both have to be careful not to fall into the traps of forgetting who owns the vineyard or forgetting to whom we serve. <laughs> both can fall into issues, right? I mean, like I said, the called, they fall into pride most often because they're working within a gifting that they have, a gift that they've been given. It's not even theirs. They weren't born with it. They're given it. Can I tell you, I didn't preach a lick, not, not, not at all, until I was baptized in the Holy Ghost. I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, started speaking in tongues, and I'm going to tell you something lit up in my belly that has never burned out. And it, I can't go back. I don't know how. I don't even remember what the old guy was like. I, it's weird. I wish I could tell you. I had an experience with God I can't explain. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit is a very different deal. And if you didn't know we were Pentecostal, hey, we're Pentecostals, just letting you know. You know, and, and, but I'm not also the guy that's like, I'm just not going to speak in tongues every time I just feel like it. Or I'm not going to speak in tongues. You know, I'm, when the Spirit's upon me, I'm going to do the things of the Spirit. God has called me to pastor. I'm going to pastor. When God calls me to call out the Holy Spirit, I'm going to call out the Holy Spirit. God calls me to lean on the I'm going to lean on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to do whatever He tells me to do. But man, I'm going to tell you that when you know when you're called to something, you know that you know that you know. And God has placed a passion in you that's un, cannot, it's a fire that cannot be put out. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where I go. I was going to be a pastor no matter if I, if I would have stayed here after uh, uh, when I left First Assembly. We took 90 days to pray about it. Can I tell you, there was never a question whether I was ever going to pastor again. You know why? Because I can't turn it off. I can't turn it off. There's a fire that God placed inside me that won't let me go. If I'm not at church, I feel bad. I don't, I'll get depressed. It's where I want to be. It's where I love to be. It's where I feel at home amongst you. When we're all talking, we're hanging out like before service and Wednesdays. That's why they're my favorite. And when we're all talking, everybody's chattering about their life, and we're all just sitting around like a bunch of friends and family. That's my favorite time. Why? Because that's the church, and I want to be around the church and around people who are happy, around people who've got a hope in life, right? Stewards the same way. They want the same things. They'd rather be working in their giftings. That's why I have a love for stewards, like even more so than the called, because the steward is the person who is working outside their gifting. They're taking one for the team. Mmm, that's some good stuff. Maybe the question this morning is, which one are you? What's God asking you to do? You know, for your calling, like I said, it's usually whatever you're passionate about. That's your call. Now, how that goes about and works, that's for you to figure out. Can I tell you this? Quit looking at others. Well, every other church does this. So, who are you? 
individually and wonderfully made. So do it your way. Do it your way where your gift will function the best way, the way God intended it to function. You'll exhaust yourself doing it like everybody else. So do it your way with your ideas and whatever that is, right? I try out a lot of crazy stuff that sometimes works, sometimes don't. I can't stand looking at somebody, what somebody else does. Like I, That's probably one of the things that led me to Mosaic here and doing Mosaic is like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to blaze out and see what's out there. Like I've seen how everybody else does it. I also see Christianity dying. So let's figure out something else. Let's figure out something else. Listen, I know that at the end we win, and I know at the end there will be revival. You know what? I'd like to see it. I'd like to see that when I left the world, it's not like Hezekiah. Well, at least it won't happen in my day. When I leave the world, man, I want to go out with a Holy Ghost blaze. When I leave this world, I want to leave it on a better foot than I found it. And anybody that, to me, that doesn't long for that or doesn't want that, what are you thinking? You're going to leave your kids to that or much less your great-great-grandkids to that? Uh-uh, not me. Not if I got breath in my lungs. I'm going to leave this world better than I found it. If I can leave it in revival, I can't think of any way better to go. I like a Rich Mullins. When I leave, I'm going to go out like Elijah. I'm going to chariot of fire. You better believe it. You better believe it. What is God calling you to? To, to, to be called or to be stewarded? And if there's a need, maybe it's not what you're called to do. If it's a need, why wouldn't you be moved into action if there's a need within the body of Christ? If it's an area that you're not gifted in, so what? Have you ever thought that God might be putting you into an area where your heart might need some work? Yeah, it's not your most comfortable area. Yeah, I get you don't want to do it. I get that. But it might be the place God wants you to be, right? And as much as it's drives you crazy to learn patience, especially, you know, when your kids are yelling, all those things that help you learn what patience is. Nobody likes learning patience. Nobody likes learning grace. Nobody likes it, right? You know when you learn grace is when you shut your mouth when everybody else is talking noise, right? That's grace. Because I want to say something back, but I'm not going to, right? Now, I'm already repenting for the things that are in my head because I was thinking things. But by the grace of God, I kept my mouth shut. Right? Come on, husbands and wives. No, that's why they're all giggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right? Nobody likes those moments. It's, remember what we say about marriage in here? Remember what we say about kids? God didn't give you kids and a wife to keep you happy. He gave you kids and a wife to make you holy. Your spouse is to keep you holy. You know how, you know how they do that? They rub you wrong. They teach you compromise. You know what compromise is? Love. Love. Because neither one of you are perfect, and both of you are horrible to live with. Truth. And you know what love does? Love goes, I overlook those things, and I love you. I say, I don't care to those things, though I really might, but I've learned to love you through those things. Oh, it's beautiful, right? This is what Jesus does. Marriage looks right back at Jesus and says, man, this is the love of God. The, the part that says, I see all the flaws, you know, the ones that everybody else hates, but this one person likes you? Like, What? Wants to live with you 20 years while everybody else is like, oh, man, I couldn't be here with that guy or that girl. Uh-uh, man. Love says, I don't care. I love them. Jesus loves you like that. And that love, what does it do? Changes us, doesn't it? Right? You ever notice, especially if you've been married for a while, right? You start laughing at the things that the other person is funny. Even though you, a long time ago, you thought that wasn't even funny. Right? I mean, that's what happens. We start to, like, become like each other. Right? They say the longer you're married, the more you look like each other. How weird is that? Love, man. Love changes us. It doesn't just change us internally. It changes us physically. It changes us. Maybe, maybe some of these things that God has for us in ministry, man, is the things that represent the same thing, love and grace. And he's trying to teach us both. Man, I heard this Marine guy is talking about there's only two things. He walked away from having his uh, um, leg uh, uh, blown off uh, in an IED. And he said, man, I've, I, what I learned through that whole experience is that I exist to do two things on this earth, to love and be loved. That's it. He said, man, that's all God's plan. That's the only plan God has for me is to love and be loved. My job is to love everybody I can and to be loved by God. And that's his whole purpose. That's our sole purpose, man. What do you think all this is working towards? What do you think the called works towards, right? In, in being called or gifted to pastor, my call is to love you just like you are, just like Jesus loves you, despite any things that I might disagree with, despite any things that I might see that might be things that, that bother me. No, no, no. I'm supposed to love you just like you are. Give you grace for the things that I might, I might see need work on you. And maybe not say anything. Why? 
because maybe it's not time to say anything to you. M- maybe, maybe if the reason I, you know, somebody hadn't said something to you is because they're just trying to love you. We all need work. I need work. I say things all the time I shouldn't say. My wife, if she's in here right now, she probably would correct it half this sermon. That's true. Now, you're laughing because you already know my wife. But that's the thing, right? Love, love, love. Steward or called. It's all about love. Maybe God is calling you to something specific. If so, what's holding you back? I'm tell you this. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. No worry around it, man. If, if, you, if you do it really good, really good, you will be tempted as the Pharisees to think that it's all about you. You'll be tempted to forget who owns the vineyard and who gave you your gift. You'll be tempted. At times, by the way, if, any, if there's any time like in your, in your life where you're going, man, I don't know why they just don't, that's pride whelped up. Be careful. My wife was corrected the other day by my oldest. She's not in here, so I won't talk about it. Um, I had to look for both right there, both my oldest and her. But our road is really bad right now, and our, one of our dear friends who uh, works on correcting the road, with the last time it rained, he started the correction, but it dried before he could finish, and he's like, okay, well, next time it rains, right? You know, but before we had talked to him about it, um, I was like, man, I don't know what's going on. Like, man, he needs to fix this road. Our, our tires and shocks are going to take a beating, da-da-da-da. And my daughter goes, you know, Larry's pretty good at this. Like, maybe, maybe the Lord just wants us to trust him that he'll probably, he's going to get it done, right? And my wife goes, I felt so convicted in my spirit. <laughs> she goes, she spoke such a good word into me. You know, and I was like, yeah, yeah. By the way, isn't it neat where it comes from sometimes? Isn't it neat? Now, the child correcting the parent. Isn't it neat where it comes from sometimes? But never be so prideful as that you can't receive a word from somebody. Listen, whatever you decide to do, we can bring the worship in here. I pray more than anything that for each one of you, you will just move forward. Just move forward in life. Be challenged. It's okay. Embrace the hardness. Embrace the, uh, the toughness. In the Marine Corps, we have a whole saying I won't say it in here, but it's, it's about embracing difficulty, right? They just say, like, this is the way it is, man. Every day is going to be hard. Every day is going to be horrible. I remember listening to Navy SEAL guys that go through the whole Navy SEAL buds thing. They say, you know what they say? Every day your life's over. Just get over it. This is your life from now on. It's going to be hard every day. It's going to be horrible. You're going to hate it every day. Get over it. And once you get over it, you can be happy. Get over life. Life is going to be hard. There's going to be difficult choices. You're going to struggle with fear, all these things. Get over it. Just move forward. Move forward. Quit sitting back. Nobody's called to sit back. Get plugged in. Go to work on the farm. God's given you this farm. Go to work on it. You know where the first farm is? Your house. Go to work on it. Right? God's given you part ownership of it. This church is not mine. God has given it to us to work it. Right? I'm working right now in my gifting. God is calling you to work in yours. And if there's no place yet for your gifting then it's called the steward in your life. One or the other, figure that part out. Well, we don't have anything going on. Are you waiting for me? If not, why? Why are you waiting for me? God's called you the same he's called me. He's gifted you the same he's gifted me. In my gift, this is where it sits. This is where my gift does. I can help coordinate things. I can help. You know what I'm called to really be? Your lackey. You are called to be gifted in the gifts that you have, right? And my job is to equip you. So like uh, I remember when my brother-in-law decided he wanted to run this, this ministry called Adopt the Block where he ran around to each uh, house and wanted to mow their lawns and pray for them. And he went down this whole block, right? So you know what the pastor did? The pastor didn't get out there and go mow, but you know what he did? He went out there door to door with him and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to go with you. We're going to see if we can't get you some some, uh, um, he, he got him some machines and things like that, that they would have enough weed eaters and lawnmowers to get the job done. And then the pastor went along and says, listen, you have my full endorsement. This is what I can do for you. I will help you get everything off the ground to get it started so that you can run this thing. That's what pastors are called to do. What is the ministry of your family? My job is to help you facilitate that. 
Pastor Jim, I want to do this Bible study in my house. I, I want to draw my, my family in. You know, we're going to have a little board game now and then spend maybe like 15 minutes in Bible study. All right, you want me to help you with a board game? I got some board games at the house. You want me to find you a nice Bible study that, that maybe we can help you with in the church so that we can help facilitate that Bible study going on? This is my job now to help facilitate. I become your resource guy to resource your ministry and the gift that God has for you. This is how the church is to work. Because some of you are hands, and some of you are feet, and some of you are arms, and some of you are legs. And when all that is functioning, right, then the whole body is working together. Right now, a lot of the ministries are done where the head is doing everything. The whole body's laying on the ground, and the chin is just grabbing it. Just working it, man. <laughs> Bro, I'm a, like, I've lost some weight, but I'm still, I don't think I can pull myself with just my chin. And we ain't supposed to. I'm the resource guy for you. I'm here to facilitate what God's called in your life. That's my job. I am your servant, not your leader. Now, the good thing about the kingdom is it turns out that's both. That's what it looks like. But in reality, I am the servant of the Lord. I'm here to serve you. What are your needs? Right? What is your gifting? And help you facilitate that and help you find it and help you cultivate it and help you talk you through it so that when times are hard, we can rise up the God within you. It's not me. Like, I can come pray for you, but ultimately at the end, man, what I'm trying to do is raise up the God that's in you. Right? I come in there and I pour water on the seed that somebody's already planted. Some of you, that's what it is. That's all I'm doing. The seed of God's already in you. You know you should be praying. You know that you will. You know God. You know who Jesus is. You know the story. You know all that. All I'm doing is pouring some water on it. And some of you are like, man, I ain't felt water in a long time. It feels pretty good. And you give me way more credit than I deserve. Man, that pastor's a great guy. He's got like amazing ability. No, I don't. I just had water. I just had water. That's all. Spoke a little bit of life into you. Right? You know who, who's my water? My wife. And I'm hers. And if we didn't have each other, man, there ain't no, you, ain't making it out, you ain't making it in the kingdom alone. There's no such thing as loners in the kingdom of God. We work together or we're destroyed. The devil, what he does is he tries to isolate us, where we, where we get the mindset of, man, it's just only me. It's just me that feels this way. No, everybody feels this way. They just might not say it out loud. Everybody feels that way. And the, this is the temptation of it all. This is where the whole Pharisee thing came from. This is what their struggle is, right? This is why they can't rely on the truth and they're worrying about popularity. Worry about what everybody thinks. What everybody thinks somehow trumped the word of God. Listen, just talk, man. The Word of God. Know the Word of God. Know the Word of God. Now, we're getting ready to worship. Man, I know I laid just a whole bunch on you. But I, but I really think, I really believe everybody falls in those two categories. I think the, there's biblical proof. And if I had more time, I'd give it to you. But like I said, I had to cut myself off sometime. Or we'd be here all day. Move forward. Whatever God's calling you to do. It might not be what you're gifted or what you want to do. Move forward. It's okay to try, and guess what, guys? It is okay to fail. Failure teaches us how to succeed, right? That's not an opportunity for the devil. Failure is not an opportunity for the devil. It's an opportunity for success. Get your minds right. Because I promise you, man, if you, don't get, if you don't get your mind right on that end, man, the devil is happy to, like, pour other things in there. And he'll do it with questions. Are you sure that you're in the place where God's called you to be? That's what he'll say. Are you sure you're in the area of ministry? Because look how hard it is for you. It's hard for everybody, even the called, or there wouldn't be failures. It's hard for everybody. Get over that. It's hard. Like, man, this is hard. Uh-huh. Right? How many times have you told your teenagers, suck it up? <laughs> Mom, it's hard. Suck it up. Suck it up. Right? Why? What do you know? You know what life's on the other side is like. So when you encounter that in the church and to the things that God's called you to do, man, I'm having this hard time deciding. It doesn't seem like there's hardly anybody coming. Welcome to my world. You know how many times I've called an call and nobody comes? You feel like, did I hear from God? Right? Those are the things. Welcome to the devil world, right? Did I hear from God? Is, am I really called? Is God really doing a work? We seem so small, Lord. We seem this way or that way. You know, listen, I tell you, you know, one of the things we preach in here, better come up or I'm going to keep preaching. One of the things we preach in here is that attendance doesn't make, the attendance doesn't equal salvation, right? But I can tell you, you, you want, 
As a person, regardless of what you do, you want people to gather together. You want people to love Jesus like you, right? And, and, and by the way, if they don't come, it doesn't mean they don't love Jesus like you, right? Everybody deserves vacation. Everybody deserves those things. But in being honest as a human being, when there's sometimes it's small, sometimes it's big, it always feels better preaching to a bigger crowd. And if you don't think that that's the temptation of the Pharisees, you'd be kidding yourself. That's the American in me, that, that American business model just ingrained in my soul that thinks bigger is better, right? Let's mix-size everything, right? That's not true. The actual the story of the Bible is, is underdogs rule. The small things devour when God gets a hold of them. That's the actual truth that I've rooted myself in so I don't fall for that junk, which is junk is exactly what it is. Man, we're, we're going to go to worship. And if there's anything right now that God's calling you to do, this is what you're going to be singing about it. As you're singing, I hope this is lingering upon you, that question. What are you called to do? And it, even if you're called to do, it's the opportunity to do what you're called to do here. And if not, what can you do to create that opportunity for yourself? Because you should be doing what you're called to do, whatever that is, however it exists. It might exist as something at work. I don't know. That's for you, Right? If it's something to steward, if there's a need and you feel God's calling you to steward something, pray about it. Figure out what that is. Maybe it's for a need that's already here. Maybe it's to help or in some areas or whatever. Maybe it's for something completely new. I don't know. Pray about that. Pray about that. But during our worship time, that's the thing that I want us lingering on. Amen?